This is LBC, leading Britain's conversation with Ian Dale at Drive. Call 0345 6060973. Tweet at LBC. Text 84850. Ian Dale at Drive on LBC. Hello, very good evening to you. It's five minutes past seven here on LBC. You're listening to Ian Dale at Drive. It's our Newsmakers Hour when Tessa Jowell joins me in the studio to uh, quiz a big-name guest. Well, we have a big-name guest this week. It's, it's the former chief rabbi, Jonathan Sachs. He's written a new book. It's called Not in God's Name, Confronting Religious Violence. And it, it in some ways, goes back to our discussion in the five o'clock hour about this um, 15-year-old from Blackburn who's been found guilty today of inciting someone in Australia to commit a terrorist act. I want to talk about the re- relationship between religion and war and, indeed, religion and peacemaking and, no doubt, quite a few other things besides. Tessa Jowell, lovely to see you again. Lovely to see you, Ian. Now, um, I, I was, it would have been nice to have had you in the studio last night with uh, my four guests in the... There wouldn't have been leaders. room, would there? <laughs> well, there wouldn't, <laughs> actually. Um, but it's, it seems to have caused a bit of a media... I won't say sensation, but it's certainly got a lot of comment in the media today. Yeah, well, sadly, I was at another hustings. I was at the National Federation of Housing hustings last how, night. How exciting. So, so I know, so I missed it. Um, but I'm going to listen to it at the weekend. Um, from the website. But um, I was just asking you while we were waiting um, what the you thought the highlights were. Um, I think, I mean, so from the conversations I've had with people today, you're the first person to have put Jeremy under pressure to explain why he thinks he can be leader of the mm. Labour Party. And then the other bit of the um, the hustings, which seems to have caught attention, was Andy Burnham's intervention about leadership justifying why he had in the end abstained on the welfare bill vote on Monday night. But um, where where is all this going? Goodness only knows. Well, we might talk a little bit about that later after half Fine, past seven. Um, but let's introduce our guest for this half hour. It's Rabbi Jonathan Sachs, a voice that will be familiar to you, I'm very uh, sure. Uh, he was chief rabbi up until two- 2013. He's written this new book called Not in God's Name, Confronting Religious Violence. Now, I'm not, I don't know the etiquette of what I should call a former chief rabbi. So is it okay if I call you Jonathan? Please do. (laughs) Better than yesterday's man, I think. (laughs) I I wouldn't dream of it. Now, just tell us about um, the idea for the book. Well, the idea was, you know, we are in an age of religiously motivated violence. It's creating enormous global disorder. It's creating havoc around the Middle East and many and parts of Africa and Asia. And I believe that if religion is part of the problem, which it manifestly is, then religion ought to be part of the solution. We ought to be able to say, certainly in the name of the great Abrahamic monotheism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam, that this kind of violence is not in God's name. It's interesting that you say that because um, we talk about this subject a lot on on this show and indeed on on other shows on on this radio station and we're constantly told that um, actually no, sort of these wars are more political than religious Um, and yet a lot of listeners will call in and say, well, this is rubbish. It's clearly that a lot of the terror acts that are carried out are carried out in the name of one religion or or another or the, the people that perpetrate them say they are. But then we have other people saying, um, no, it's not, it's not that simple. Well, is it? Well, what's happening, of course, is you've got this 
intermingling of religion and politics, which throughout history has been a deadly combination. Um, and uh, religions go into a kind of meltdown when that happens because uh, what in politics is a virtue, in religion is a vice. In politics, you have to be able to compromise. In religion, you just don't compromise. So whenever a political conflict takes on a religious coloration, solutions become very, very difficult indeed. Instead of conflict resolution, we have conflict intensification. And it's, when, when we look at some of the modern-day conflicts, it, it's very, very difficult to see how religion in itself can play a part in the conflict resolution because you, you have two sides, sometimes more than two sides, who just, you think, well, there's, there can be no meeting of minds here. Well, it's very interesting, you know. Um, actually, when religious people get together, and let's, even in the Middle East, let's say, I was involved uh, very much on the sidelines in 2000, 2001, when the then Archbishop of Canterbury, George Carey, convened something called the Alexandria Process, which brought together Jewish, Christian, and Muslim leaders from the Middle East in Alexandria. And they achieved extraordinary breakthroughs because people of faith tend to speak soul to soul with other people of faith. The only trouble was that in those days, people had never worked out, now how do you make religion part of the conflict resolution process? How do you establish it as track to diplomacy? So all those breakthroughs that they made in human terms actually didn't actually mesh with the political process uh, because politicians tend not to know what to do with religious leaders and vice versa. Well, let, well let's bring Tessa in here. I mean, Tessa, you, you were a cabinet minister for a long time. Um, Alastair Campbell famously said we don't do God, but of course Tony, we all know now that Tony Blair very much did do God. Um, was there ever a, a, an instance in, in your political career where you, you faced a sort of religious conflict and weren't quite sure about what to do about it? Um <clears throat> No, I don't think I'd put it like that. I, I am a believer. Uh, I, so you know, I regard myself as a as a person of faith. I'm very interested in this, uh, you know, but the the elision between um, uh, religious belief and, if you like, political values. I mean, I would say that actually. Um, I feel that my politics are an expression of my faith, but I would never use my faith um, for political purposes. I mean, it tends, it's, it's something that matters to me in, in a private way. I, but I think Jonathan is absolutely right. I think there's a slightly um, embarrassed sense of unease um, about this uh, the, the, this close juxtaposition of politics, which tends to be uh, bombastic, outward-facing, um, extremely assertive, and some of the more kind of reflective and stance and the uncertainties of faith. And politics is very intolerant of uncertainty. But, but that, that's interesting, isn't it? Because um, some people, um, I'm not thinking of any particular religion, but some people who are very religious and people of faith 
seems so certain about everything that there can, there can be no argument about it. Whereas I, mean, I think sometimes put, there's less certainty in politics and and because I suppose maybe because of the, the most religions have hundreds if not thousands of years of history behind them, um, people can always quote things from that history um, as proof that their faith is right. Whereas in politics it's a little bit different. Well, that's when when you get very radical religious leaders fanning the flames of conflict, it becomes incredibly important for there to be a counter voice from religious leaders saying, no, that is not the tradition. That's not how we read those texts. And uh, I'll prove it to you. And that becomes incredibly important. You need a very strong voice of moderation. How can but you let me, prove it? Let, mean, when, let when me it give comes... you an example, if I okay. can. Um, after we had this London suicide bombing in 7-7-2005, within 48 hours, the Home Office had brought the leaders of all Britain's faiths to come and meet together because they feared that there would be some kind of violence spreading out as, as a reaction to this. And uh, I told the then Home Secretary, um, perhaps you don't realize that all of us around the table are old friends. We have worked on that friendship mm. and that fact filtered through to local communities. I think the fact that we had worked so hard in Britain on establishing really good personal relationships across the faiths helped keep that uh, reaction to 7-7 um, the peaceable and, and, and responsible thing that it was. Uh, you really can do this. I, 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 somehow or other, when two religious leaders get together, their first reaction is not to heat each other over the head. They actually recognize that we both believe in something much bigger than ourselves. We're both part of a very ancient tradition. Uh, and bizarrely, I think Tessa will probably agree with this, the same thing is true in politics. I mean, yeah. people imagine David Cameron and Ed Miliband, as was, sort of clashing over Prime Minister's questions. But privately, actually, I'm not sure with those two, but they did have a particularly close <laughs> relationship. But that, there are, I mean, Charles Clark, who you were mentioning yeah. a moment ago, I mean, yeah. he had a very it was cordial relationships with his opposite number at that time, David Davis. And mm. you have to work together, don't you? Yeah, of course you do. And... I think the, the the point that, if I can just quickly sort of d develop the point that Jonathan made about 7-7, seven, seven, I think that also reflected something about the character and personality of London and mm. all its diversity and its yeah. openness. And what I thought was, was, was a, a really wonderful thing was that in the days after 7-7, seven, seven, there wasn't a single reported criminal attack mm. on a Muslim Londoner. Mm. And... You know, even you know, as we are at the end of Ramadan, you know what we've seen in um, North London synagogues is um, you know m um, synagogues being places for iftar to break the um, fast of of Ramadan. Yeah, so Jews the, are really good at breaking fasts. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, on that happy note, uh, let's go to the travel. We'll talk more to uh, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs in just a moment. This is LBC. It's quarter past seven. This is Adam Moore in the LBC Travel Centre. Good evening. Well, it's not good on the M25 at the moment. Anti-clockwise, around 10 to 15 miles of queues from the M4 at Junction 15 
all the way around past the A3 at Junction 10. Those queues because of a spillage of fuel earlier this afternoon. All lanes are back open now between the A3 and Leatherhead, Junction 10 to 9, but the anti-clockwise queues are solid all the way back towards the M4. In Eltham, Westhorn Avenue, that's the A205, a lane shut there after an accident near to Catherine Gardens. Delays in Twickenham if you're heading out of town on the A316, very slow across Twickenham Bridge as you head into the roadworks near St Margaret's roundabouts. The queues there all the way back up to Twickenham Road in Richmond. Keeping London moving, your next travel update in 15 minutes. LBC Travel with GoToMeeting, where there's always a seat for you. Summer, it brings out all sorts of things in us Brits, from the urge to lunch in the park, assuming you can find a spot, to a primal need to barbecue breakfast, lunch and dinner. And now, thanks to Shoeaway, the next time you fire up that grill, you could be standing at the controls of the ultimate barbecue package, including an outdoor three-burner gas barbecue, wireless Bluetooth speakers, a deluxe barbecue tool set and £300 of vouchers to spend. To find out more and for your chance to win courtesy of Shoeaway, visit lbc.co.uk. Imagine a piece of paper in front of you. Now imagine carefully folding it and folding it into a perfect origami cat. Using just one hand, your non-dominant hand, against the clock with your boss watching. <clears throat> At Lexus, that's just one of the skills our Takumi master craftsmen have adopted to improve dexterity, ensuring that our hand-stitched interiors meet the highest standards. This amazing craftsmanship is available on the Lexus CT Advance Plus from only £259 per month. Discover more at Lexus.co.uk. Business users over 18 only, excluding VAT at 20% plus advanced rental conditions apply. My knees were so painful that my doctor kept increasing the strength of my pills. The first time the therapist fitted me with the Apos therapy device, oh, I was taken aback. There was no pain in my knees. I can now walk a lot better than when I started. Apos Therapy is a non-surgical, non-drug and clinically proven treatment for worn, damaged and arthritic knees. Call Apos Therapy for your free assessment on 0800 909 8009 or visit apostherapy.co.uk. Results may vary. Time is never on your side. And sometimes you don't get chance to do the things you've been meaning to do, even if they could make you thousands of pounds better off. Well, that's where direct redress can help. Millions of people were missold PPI by the major banks. And we can find out if you were one of them. If you're unsure, all we need is the name of your bank. Simply text PPI to 87121. That's PPI to 87121. Direct Redress. Experts in financial claims. Welcome to London's exquisite Indian dining experience. Marla Restaurant. The finest North Indian cuisine in the most charming setting. Find us in the heart of one of London's divine hidden gems, St. Catherine's Dock. Marla Restaurant. Visit us in St. Catherine's Dock or go to marlarestaurant.co.uk. Marla. Discover a jewel in London's secret paradise. Nick Ferrari at breakfast on LBC. May, as in Theresa, vows to transform Britain's police. Penny Edgecombe, who's a former magistrate. Uh, every day, police officers go out and they don't know what they're going to be facing. In some areas of London, something like 80% of the problems are due to mental health issues. 
appear that London Mayor Boris Johnson's dream about green buses is turning into a bit of a nightmare. The LBC reporter Tom Sorbrick has been investigating. I'm measuring the back of your bus, sir. How are you? It's still measuring, still measuring, still measuring. Can we get more than 15,000? Bear in mind that a room is uh, three and a half thousand of these, so this is already five times dirtier. Whoa, 52,648. Thank you. Nick Ferrari at breakfast. Every weekday morning from 7, only on LBC. With Hampton by Hilton, with over 2,000 hotels worldwide. You're listening to me, Tessa Jowell, here with Ian Dale on LBC. We're joined in the studio this week by the former chief rabbi, Lord Sachs. He'll be here for the next 10 minutes, and we're discussing Lord Sachs's new book, Not in God's Name. The book is a UK bestseller, and it looks at how we can confront religious violence across the world. I wondered, um, uh, Jonathan, if we could just pick up on uh, the earlier discussion. Um, How do you think we confront the assertion that Islam instructs jihad and therefore these young men and women who are going to Syria to join uh, Islamic State, as it's called, um, are somehow religiously justified? Mm. Well, what I've tried to do is to say we've been here before. What, what's happening now in the Middle East is almost a civil war within Islam. Now, that happened in Europe, in uh, Christianity in the 16th and 17th centuries, where Protestants and Catholics were killing each other for a century. I mean, in the Thirty Years' War, one in three of the population of Central Europe died when that happened. And of course in Judaism we knew exactly the same thing in the first century when Jews within the besieged Jerusalem were more intent on killing one another than confronting the Roman enemy outside. So it is by tracing those previous instances where people in Judaism and in Christianity were saying the kind of violent things that are being said today in some parts of radical Islam and saying what they lead to. They lead to disaster. And the people you destroy are not your enemies, they're your friends. Today, the primary victims of radical political Islam are Muslims. Exactly. And, of course, Christians in the Middle East are being devastated as well. So it is when people begin to realize that they're bringing destruction on themselves, on their fellow believers, rather than on what they see as the enemy. That's when serious people start saying, this cannot be what God mm. wants of us. Absolutely. Do you think that schools need to be more proactive and specific in this kind of teaching? I think they really have to be. Mm. I think there are two issues here. Number one, all schools must teach children of faith and children of no faith to learn to appreciate and respect the convictions of the other. Now, that can be done very powerfully in schools. I remember doing a television program once about a school under my aegis when I was chief rabbi in Birmingham, King David Birmingham, an Orthodox Jewish school where more than half of the pupils were Muslim. It was just beautiful seeing Mm. the way that Muslim parents appreciated the fact that this was a faith school Mm. that told people to take tradition and God and, and religious morality seriously. So I think 
schools can encourage people of different faiths to recognize what they hold in common. And I think also it becomes terribly important then for spokespeople to emerge within the particular faiths with authority so that when they say our faith does not speak of violence, our faith speaks of of a God-willed diversity, which is there in the Quran as much as it is in Jewish and Christian texts. Well, it it is in the Quran, but of course many people remind us uh, daily almost when we do phone-ins on this that of course there are some very violent passages in the Quran uh, as well. So everyone talks about Islam as being a religion of peace, but for those who want to say that it's not a religion of peace, the evidence is, I'm afraid, in parts of the Quran, isn't it? Well, it is. But then don't forget, Jesus said, I come to bring not peace, but a sword. You will find some very violent bits in the New Testament and in the church fathers in the third and fourth century. And nobody needs a reminder that you'll find plenty of violent pieces in what we call the Hebrew Bible, what you call the Old Testament. Oh, every religion has violent texts, and it becomes incredibly important to remember the traditions of the way those texts have been interpreted. Don't forget that between the 8th and 12th centuries, Islam, which spread faster than any movement in history, Mm. uh, was the world leader in tolerance, in coexistence. It was not what today we'd call liberal democracy. But in Al-Andalus, in Spain, that was the age of convivencia, when Jews, Christians, and Muslims lived more happily together than at any other time and in any other place in Europe in the Middle Ages. So there are some tremendous precedents, and the people who just point to the violent texts have to be reminded that there is a history of interpreting those texts in nonviolent ways, and that's one of the things that I show in the book. I'm not sure you see there's enough kind of assertive leadership um, by any of the three major faiths as you, uh, as you identify. There's not enough assertive leadership to, in a way, reinterpret the literal um, form or the w- way in which a particular text is expressed. And that then allows the uh, the violent nature of some text, whether it's in the Bible. The Bible has plenty of violent sure. references. Um, to, it, it then allows people to justify their behavior. Yeah. And, it, I mean, this does require a special kind of new leadership, which I, don't think, which I don't think we've yet seen. Well, I wrote the book really, to be honest, to encourage a new generation of mm. religious leaders. I mean, it's absolutely axiomatic to any text-based religion. And Judaism, Christianity, and Islam are all text-based religions. No application without interpretation. Mm. That means that fundamentalism is just out. It, is, it was tried, it failed... And somehow or other, we have to remind people of that long history of interpretation, which the the four major schools of jurisprudence in Islam. So we need a new, young, adventurous, altruistic leadership in the three main faiths, not only the three main faiths. I think um, leadership is a bit of an issue right now. But but Tessa, what do you mean by more assertive? Well, uh, saying... You know, because the Quran or the Torah or the Bible use these words, do not allow that to, uh, you know, that doesn't give you license to act literally 
believing that you're following the, um, the, 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 the creed, the text of your faith. Is, is there a problem here in, that sort of in, in the Muslim faith? I mean, there is no single person, there is no equivalent of the Archbishop of Canterbury or the Chief Rabbi that, who can actually say, well, this is what I believe we should all do. It's, it's sort of more disparate. It's true, and that's a big problem. It's a big issue. Um, but at the same time, you know, if I think about Jews in Britain 150-odd years ago, I say this because before I became chief rabbi, I was the head of our rabbinical training college, mm. which had been established here in Britain in 1855 because the Jewish community were being accused of not fully integrating into Britain. Mm which is what some Muslims are being accused of today. And the Jewish community said, right, we have to arrange for a leadership institute, an institute to train rabbis who will be thoroughly integrated in Britain and its traditions, in the values that go to make a liberal democratic state. And they created that institution, which I had the privilege of leading 150 years later. That has to happen right now because... All of a sudden, religion has stopped being mild and quiet mm, and thinly sliced cucumber sandwiches on vicarage lawns. It's become noisy, violent and dangerous. And we have to create the leaders who will show that there is another way. Mm. I suspect, you see, people will be saying at home, um, but where's this leadership going to come from? You know, I'm worried about my daughter. I'm worried about my son. I'm worried that, you know, during the summer holidays, they may disappear to to Syria. Where is this going to come from quickly? Well, I think we're not going to get a quick fix on this. I think uh, we may well find that this issue, religiously motivated violence, not only a long way away, but domestically in terms of terror, is going to be a problem that will be with us for the next generation, and we better start mm. now mm. training those new leaders. Well, we're going to uh, stay with uh, the former Chief Rabbi Jonathan Sachs for a few more minutes. I hope that doesn't come as a surprise to you, but um, your, your people have said that's okay, so we'll we'll continue with our conversation. I, you're, you're actually the kind of person I think we could talk to you for two hours oh, on this programme and not get bored, so <laughs> take that as a, take that as a compliment, because I don't say that to every guest, I can assure you. Uh, I'm Ian Dale at Drive. We're in the middle of our Newsmakers Hour with Tessa Jack. Uh, it's 7.30. Tim John has the news headlines. It's emerged the driver of a bin lorry which crashed in Glasgow in December, killing six people, had collapsed at the wheel before. An inquiry heard it happened when Harry Clark was working at a bus company. A 15-year-old British boy has admitted encouraging an Islamic State-inspired terror attack in Australia. The boy from Blackburn sent thousands of messages to an 18-year-old, urging him to target police at an Anzac Day parade. The Home Secretary set out a major review into deaths in police custody. There were 17 in or following detention in England and Wales in the last year, the highest level for five years. The business news, the owner of the Financial Times, has agreed to sell the newspaper to Japanese media company Nikkei. Pearson, which has owned the FT for almost 60 years, has agreed a deal worth £844 million. It's claimed half a million more small employers will have to offer staff a workplace pension than previously thought. The pensions regulator says it's because of an increase in business startups and fewer companies than expected going bust. And sales at Mothercare have slowed because 
because of problems in the Baby Care Chains International Division. The company is carrying out a restructuring plan which includes closing unprofitable stores, refurbishing existing ones and improving product ranges. In the city, the FTSE index has ended the day down 12 points at 66.55. LBC Business. With Halo, the taxi magnet. It's the way smart people get about. And LBC weather, cloudy but mostly dry for London and the southeast tonight. A minimum temperature of 14 degrees. Heavy rain spreading to southwest England and South Wales, but mostly dry elsewhere. Tomorrow is looking cooler but breezy with heavy showers throughout the day. From Global's Newsroom for LBC, I'm Tim John. This is Adam Moore in the LBC Travel Centre. Very slow out of town tonight on the A4 after an accident just before the Chiswick roundabout as you head up onto the elevated section of the M4. The slip road to the A4 at the Chiswick roundabout is partly blocked, just the inside lane open there after this accident that happened around 30 minutes ago. That's why you're queuing all the way back past the Hogarth roundabout. M25 still looking very slow anti-clockwise, 15 round to 11, the M4 round to Chertsey after an accident earlier this evening. In Eltham, you're queuing on the South Circular at Westhorn Avenue. The westbound side still partly blocked for recovery after an accident involving a bus near to Catherine Gardens. Keeping London moving, your next travel update is in 15 minutes. LBC Travel. With Citrix GoToMeeting. Helping you conduct meetings with a personal touch. Whenever you want, wherever you are. Listen live to LBC at home or in your car on FM and DAB digital radio. Oh, I'm not your wife, mate. You can't talk to me like that. No, she normally says that to me, actually. Unless she wants to drive. On mobile and tablet, download our free app for Apple and Android. The event organisers wheel on four women in effectively their bra and knickers. What's that about? Tune into Sky, Virgin Media and now Freeview. Surely the new politics is if you agree with somebody, you say so and you support them. And get the whole picture through our website lbc.co.uk Leading Britain's conversation Never miss a minute of LBC Ian Dale at Drive on LBC You're listening to me Tessa Jal here with Ian Dale on LBC and uh, we're very grateful for the fact that staying with us for another 15 minutes in the studio is the former Chief Rabbi Lord Sachs and he'll be here for the next 10 minutes, and we're discussing his new book, Not in God's Name. I wondered if we could just pick up from um, where where we left off this question of how to uh, sort of contradict the belief that violence is legitimised in the three major holy texts. And we were talking about where the leadership might come from. You said it was going uh, to take time. Um, but what 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 kind of interfaith uh, reinforcement of the need for this self confidence um, do you think it's possible to create? Well, if I can give you Tessa a personal example, I'm spending some time teaching uh, in New York at the moment, and uh, coming over to the university every year is a group from. The United Arab Emirates, they are the top university students mm. in the country. It's their first visit to the West. I am the first Jew they've ever met. And obviously, it's a, it's, a, it's a moment, critical moment. And what I do on each occasion is 
begin by telling them what I, as a Jew, owe to Islam. Mm. And I remind them that, uh, first of all, it was the Islamic thinkers and philosophers who were the first people in the 11th century to recover the heritage of ancient Greece. Mm. They brought back Aristotle and Plato from the grave. They had a huge impact on the greatest rabbi of the Middle Ages, Moses Maimonides, who in turn had a huge impact on Aquinas in the 13th century. So Islam led the way and Judaism and Christianity learned from it. I explained to them that it was a 12th century Muslim thinker, Avicenna, who was the first person ever to put forward a religiously based argument for freedom of speech. And it's a very interesting argument and terribly relevant today because he said, the more confident you are in your faith, the less you will be worried mm. about letting your opponents have their say. And I also, and this surprises them, and we suddenly break through what can be years of estrangement in a moment. Mm. And uh, I know we do because... All of those students send me handwritten letters saying how important that meeting was for them. And they're going back now uh, to the Middle East to, um, to become leaders of the future because these are real stars of the future. You can do this again and again and again. And this thing that surprised me most about the book, and I've seen this at many meetings when I've spoken about the book, is that the most enthusiastic readers of the book are actually young Muslims. Mm -hmm. um, and they, I think they feel here is somebody who's not out to attack us, who is actually a friend, somebody who respects our faith, and somebody who gives us the confidence because moderation is always something you get from confidence and extremism is always something that arises from fear. Mm. Do you think that um, your analysis is one which is shared more generally in the Jewish faith? Uh, I actually believe you just sometimes have to lead whether anyone agrees yes. with me or not. I think you've got to... Have you been a persuader, like though? What? Have you been a persuader? Have you... Uh, I think that uh, I've tried to say to my community when I was chief rabbi and since, and my successor is certainly doing the same, Share your faith with yeah. people who are not of your faith. Let us not feel so scared by things like the return of anti-Semitism that we turn inward, that mm. we seal ourselves off in a self-constructed ghetto. Go out there and share your faith with others. And I think that has a huge effect. Mm. And how can we do it? Because the truth is Christians shared their faith with us mm. when we were growing up. So we've learnt and this confidence becomes contagious. Mm -hmm. well, you'll, you'll be amused by a tweet I've just had, uh, Jonathan. It reads, who is this man on the radio? Such an inspiration. And it's from someone on Twitter called Moderate Muslim. Oh, right. <laughs> so Sorry, you, that's yeah, not from so you, any member of my family. <laughs> so you, you, you struck home there. But do, do you, does it sometimes frustrate you that um, we, we, live, we live in a country that is a liberal democracy, essentially a very tolerant country, and yet there still seem to be so many misunderstandings between the faiths and, and, and particularly, I think, between sort of the Islamic and, and Jewish faiths where, where people misattribute motifs. There's so many misunderstandings. Yeah, there's suspicion, there's fear. It all gets amplified, unfortunately, by the Internet, by social media. People can be ruder mm. on the social media than Absolutely. they ever could be face to face. 
Or nicer, as we've just seen. Or nicer, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, give the man a medal. I mean, the truth is that it is things like breaking of Ramadan in, in, in a synagogue. It is things where we do stuff together, where we eat together, we drink together, we sing together, we, we, and suddenly we find that, you know what, we have so much more in common mm. than separates mm. us. Mm. Um, I, I just wonder, let's turn our attention back to what's going on in the Middle East, and particularly in Iraq and Syria. Um, ISIS, Daesh, I don't know what we, we're supposed to call them, I always say that whenever I mention either of those names, um, th- they're not people that I think you can have a conversation with they, they don't they don't respect the normal rules of international relations they don't even respect the normal rules of warfare Correct. um so it, we can't do what we've actually did with the taliban where there was tea with the taliban doesn't matter what anybody says there were back channels of people talking to them just like there were with the ira back in the 1980s that's not possible here is it it's not possible and don't try and do the impossible try and do the possible but here we have young Muslims who are being radicalized with this dream of of restoring the honor of Islam. And the truth is they're doing more to dishonor Islam than mm. anyone in centuries. And we have to say to young idealistic Muslims, guys, you have a fantastic faith with a long history, but it is a tolerant faith. It's a generous faith. It recognizes that Jews and Christians are peoples of the book. I mean, Jews did better in Muslim lands in the Middle Ages, to be honest, than they did in Christian lands quite often. So here is this great faith that won the admiration of the world by being open, by being tolerant, by being intellectually rigorous, by saying that politics is politics, but religion is something else, and that understood that no soul was ever saved by hate. Mm. And no truth was ever proved but, but by the, violence. But, but the ISIS version of Islam isn't just intolerant to Christians and Jews, it's intolerant to fellow Muslims. It is. It has 200 million Shia Muslims directly in its gun sites. And this is the terrifying thing. And this is why I, as a Jew, and I hope Christians will come with me and Muslims likewise, say, guys, we've been here before. And I've got to tell you, there is no happy ending to this story. When Jew fights Jew, Christian fights Christian, or Muslim fights Muslim, is Muslim, the result is disaster. So choose another way. Mm. Do you regard yourself as an optimist? I am not an optimist, but I will never lose hope. <laughs> the Ooh. difference between that, the two is quite deep. simple. Ian. <laughs> an optimist believes the world is going to get better. A pe- uh, somebody with hope says if we work hard enough together, we can actually make the world better. It needs no courage, only a certain naivety to be an optimist. But it sometimes needs a great deal of courage to have hope. Knowing what we do of history, I don't think any Jew can be an optimist. But no Jew worthy of the name ever lost hope. Mm. I think, however, that people listening to you this evening, Jonathan, will feel optimistic in that they will feel more hopeful Um, I think also that what you provide is a sort of intellectual and spiritual framework within which people can think and make judgments. And I think that in this issue particularly, 
that's what has been lacking. I think we need this satellite navigation system that will get us from yeah, here to exactly. there, you yeah. know. And sometimes the most important thing to say is that is not the right way you've yeah. gone on. Uh, false turning It's not going to get you to the destination. The destination that you want, that we want, a world in which peace, in which God is honored, in which we see our fellow humans as the image of God. Jews and Muslims all believe that one life, a single life, is like a universe. Destroy a life and you destroy a universe. Save a life and you save a universe. These are redemptive truths. They're great truths. Mm. And let us see that as the destination. And what I've tried to do in the book is give us a little roadmap from here to there. And if that creates hope, then I think that's what I want to do. Well, Jonathan, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you over the last 45 minutes. I hope we can have you back uh, on LBC very soon. Thank Ian, you. I'd love thank to. you very much indeed. Fantastic. Uh, that is the well, thank you, Jonathan, very much indeed. Thank you. That was the former Chief Rabbi, Lord Sachs, who was discussing with us the themes of his new book, Not in God's Name. Coming up now, after the travel, Ian and I will be discussing the highlights from yesterday's LBC Labour leadership What she means is debate, we're going to have a gossip. As well as taking your calls. Thank you. This I is LBC and the time is now 745